Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18 tonight, we're going to start in verse 1, we'll read to verse 2, and then we'll cover a few other verses tonight, but we'll read those, we'll pray, and we'll get started tonight. The Bible said, through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Again, for tonight, Lord, we do thank you for the promise of heaven. We do know that it's going to be a wonderful place, a perfect place, a place of uh, uh, all peace, Lord, and joy and love for all of eternity. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that is what's waiting on us as a believer. And not just the place, but, Lord, the people that will be there. We do thank you, Lord, that we have a promised reunion with those who died in Christ or those who've gone on before. But not just the place or the people, but, Lord, we're thankful for the person we do thankful, Lord, that we will see you face to face. We ask it tonight, Lord, we'd never lose sight of heaven. Lord, it'd always be a constant source of joy and longing in our hearts, Lord, that we'd realize that we're not citizens of this world anymore. But, Lord, now we are ambassadors for Christ, Lord, and help us, Lord, to represent you in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, I do ask you tonight that you hide behind the cross of Calvary. Go and get out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. Use me, Lord, simply for your glory. And we ask you tonight that you give us exactly what we need, Lord. And, Lord, we already know you've prepared it. You've got it ready for us. But, Lord, give us ears to hear on purpose. Open up our hearts tonight, Lord, and let the word of God sink deep down in there. Lord, we do thank you, and we do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I was going through Proverbs 18 and, and praying and studying and asking, Lord, all right, Lord, how, how am I supposed to preach this? And I, I got three pens on my desk. One was green, one was blue, and one was purple. And as I was reading through this, I found out there were some verses that dealt with desire. And then there were some verses that dealt with the words that we use. And there were some that dealt with our actions or really the choices that we make. And so really you can break down Proverbs 18 into three categories. And the first one being the desire. That is our pursuit of wisdom. If we have no desire for wisdom, we're not going to pursue it, right? If there's no desire in our heart to go after it and to seek it, we are not going to go after it. So you simply could ask yourself, what are you desiring tonight? Then you have, and to have it alliterated, you have the diction, right? The diction, the words, that is the wisdom. That's what wisdom sounds like in our lives. It is, uh, it is, it is not only the words that we use, but also how we use our words. And we'll see that in Proverbs 18. And then you have the decisions, the choices that you make. That is what wisdom looks like in your life. It is more than just doing the right thing, but it's doing things rightly uh, with the right heart and the right spirit, which, which really it takes us back to the first category. And you're going to see tonight that there is a cycle that goes on here where it's desire, desire dis addiction, and then decisions. But the reality is wisdom operates in a cycle. Uh, and, and, and the reality is not just that wisdom operates in, in, in a cycle, but it's a good cycle. See, because sin operates and carnality operates in a cycle as well. However, it is a vicious cycle. It leaves you destroyed, and it leaves you to rebuild with, or trying to rebuild from the rubble. In essence, tonight, think about in this sense uh, how difficult it is for a, someone with a felony to get a job. Right, that, 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 that bad choice, that wrong decision, whatever it was, and now they are trying to do right, but that thing is holding them back. The same thing is true with sin, right? Things can be restored, things can be fixed, but it's always causing you to rebuild from the rubble. However, wisdom 
When its cycle is finished, in essence, it it is not rebuilding from the rubble, but it is rebuilding or building upon something. It's probably the better way to say it. You're building on the last level. You're you're starting with the foundation. You're adding to those things. Matter of fact, 2 Peter says something along these lines in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience goodness, right? In essence, it's not like you got to have one of those, and you got to get rid of it to get the other. Other, and or if you if you complete temperance, your life is going to fall apart. No, you're building upon one of those, and that is done through wisdom. So sin, yes, you can rebuild from it, but you will do it from the rubble. However, through wisdom, you will re, you will build upon the foundation that is already laid there. And really, uh, all of these verses tonight, all uh, just about all twenty four of these verses fall into one of those three categories: your 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 desire, your diction, or your uh, decisions. And then there's verse twenty two. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I was reading that, and, and I had a conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, I know that verse. It's a wonderful verse, but it really don't fit into chapter 18. <laughs> and as I was looking at it, I began to realize because chapter 18, verse 22, that one verse probably requires a whole sermon to itself. And so we're going to look at those three categories and then we're going to handle verse number 22, all right? And so tonight, as we look at these categories, the first one we're going to look at tonight is the desire. And we'll, we'll look at this one tonight, the addiction next week, decisions uh, the week after that, and then all you husbands, make sure your wives are here. I'm just kidding tonight. I, uh, but the Bible does say, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. You say, well, preacher, we know that, but we're living in a generation we're living in a society that says it's really not that big of a deal. You don't have to get married. That's so old fat. Why, why lock yourself down? Why put a ball and chain on? Why get married? Why make that kind of commitment? Because the Bible said it is a good thing. And it's the right thing. And we're going to see that when we get there. Amen. I can't get ahead of myself. That's a month away. <laughs> But tonight, as we begin to look at Proverbs 18, let's take a look at some truths concerning the desire of wisdom. Notice number one, we see a separation of wisdom or the separation unto wisdom. Look at verse one and two. Through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. My wife told me a statement a couple days ago, uh, or sometime in the uh, near past. She said if somebody really wanted to do something, they would. If somebody really wanted to do something, they will. And so essence tonight, he said, preacher, I really want to serve the Lord more, but, no, if you really wanted to, you would. Preacher, I really want to pray more, but, well, no, if you really wanted to, you would. Preacher, I really want to pass out more tracts, but, well, no, if you really wanted to, you would. Preacher, I really want a better marriage, but, no, if you really wanted to, you would. Do I need to keep going? (laughs) We're getting the point, right? If we really want something, then we will. If we really desire something, then we will do whatever is necessary, whatever is within the legal realm to achieve it. Right? We will pursue with everything. And we see this night, this truth is presented to us in verses 1 and 2 concerning if we really wanted it, we'd get it. 
We'd pursue it. See, notice verse 1, we see the desire of wisdom. There's an act of separation. Now, I know tonight we are independent, fundamental, we're independent, fundamental Baptist church. We're against everything. Or at least we're supposed to be, at least. Right, we're against everything, but the reality is that's one side of the coin when it comes to separation. It's not just separating from something, but it is separating to something. I've said that many times, and, and I'm not saying it because I don't think you know it tonight, but there is an act of separation when it comes to pursuing wisdom, and that is I'm not going after that junk no more. I am separating myself to the pursuit of wisdom. Right, I, I, through desire, it, it doesn't start in the action stage, it starts in the desire stage. I don't desire that stuff anymore. But notice this, he wasn't gonna just chase anything. He said there was a pursuit of wisdom. The Bible said he seeketh wisdom, right? And he intermeddled with all wisdom. So not only is there an act of separation, but there's an active search. There's an active search, that verse number two, he seeketh it out. He searches it out, or you search it out. And then there's that word intermeddleth. It's one of the few times in your Bible where it is not tied to a sinful action. It is not tied to, to sticking your nose in business you have no business sticking your nose in. Right? You're intermeddling. You're, you're meddling with things. But here that word intermeddle, it literally means to be obstinate. I had to look that, I had to look that word up. I thought, I, was like, I think I know what that means. And I really don't, not sure what it means. So I looked it up. It means to stick with something. In essence, there's not just an active search or a desire and, and there, you seek it, but then you, you stick with it. In essence, you don't quit because it gets difficult. You don't quit because it gets hard. You don't quit because it's no longer easy. And what do you seek after all wisdom? And that doesn't mean you go to Allah and you go to Buddha and you go to Confucius and you try to get wisdom from here and wisdom from there and wisdom from here, but rather you try to get God's wisdom into every aspect of your life. And every decision you make, you want to make it in God's wisdom. Not just, see, a lot of times in our life, right, we, we search wisdom when things get difficult, don't we? We search wisdom when things are hard, and we, we thank God that we can tonight, but the reality is, even in the good times of life, we ought to be pursuing God's wisdom. How do I handle success? How do I handle favor? How do I handle blessings? Lord, I need wisdom. We see that there's the desire of wisdom. We see an active search. But then notice in verse number two, we see the desire of the foolish. Verse number two, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. The fool only wants to know more about themselves. What makes me feel good? What do I like? What pleases me? We're going to see tonight that either one of these pursuits can be a lifelong pursuit. You can spend your life chasing after yourself and trying to figure out about yourself and what you want and what you think. And the reality is the Bible said that is a foolish pursuit. There is no delight in understanding. Matter of fact, you say, well, preacher, how can that be a lifelong suit? Because your heart is desperately wicked. The moment you think you got your heart figured out, it's going to change on you. It's going to run around the corner and say, you ain't get me yet. You can't tag me. You can't find me. Right, but both of these can be lifelong. His heart is deceitful. It's always changing. That's why in our natural state, in our natural mind, we have to go from one thing to the next and one thing to the next and one thing to the next and one thing to the next. Let me ask you tonight, would you be satisfied if you had to eat the same thing for dinner every night? <laughs> well, I mean, we, preach, we, gotta, we need to sit down and talk about this. We do know tonight that it would satisfy our physical need, 
But our want there, after about three weeks of I don't care what it is, you're going to want something else. I absolutely love ice cream, but if that's all I had to eat for three weeks, I might be able to go forth. <laughs> right, but sooner or later, I'm going to change. I'm going to want something else. That's how we're wired. That's how we are. And the reality is that's why a man can spend his life foolishly chasing his heart and never get what he wants. But then the reality is you and I can also make a lifelong pursuit of wisdom. Uh, of, of, of seeking wisdom. Our heart is established and strengthened with each uncovering of wisdom. We think, man, this is, I figured God out. This is, this, it can't get no better than this. Just find out that it can. And find out that God does have more wisdom. God does have more than what we need tonight. So we see, number one, when it comes to the desire of wisdom, there has to be a separation there. I'm no longer going to desire the things of my heart, than the, in essence, not the, the foolish things of my heart, but rather I'm going to separate from that stuff, and I'm going to separate myself unto wisdom and give it everything I got and pursue with everything I have. Let me ask you, which one of these searches are you separated unto? So we see the separation of wisdom. Then notice number two tonight... We see the temptation of selfishness. We see the temptation of self, selflessness. Verses 11 through, through, through uh, and 12, it says, The rich man's wealth is a strong city and has a high wall in his own conceit. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Then you go down to verse 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. You say, well, preacher, I would have you to know that I do not struggle with selfishness. I'm a completely selfless person, preacher. I just want you to know that tonight. Well, let me say this to you as kindly as I can and politely as I can. You're lying. Right? You're lying tonight. Oh, no, preacher. I'm completely and totally selfless. Can I say tonight, each and every one of us from the pulpit down tonight deal with selfishness. We deal with self all the time. We all deal with it. How do you know that, preacher? Because if, we, if you and I were completely and totally selfless, there would not have to be someone standing outside of Walmart with a red bucket during Christmas time. They wouldn't have to play the commercial with that, loud, with that, that music and the three-legged dog in the snow trying to get you to give money to the ACS, PSS, whatever it's called. Right? We'd be completely self. Oh, I just, here it is, here it is, here it is. But no, we all struggle with selfishness. And a lot of the times tonight, we're gonna, we, we, we give it in one avenue, no doubt that it's there. Matter of fact, Brother Ricky kind of mentioned in his prayer tonight. Right? There's three areas that you and I are always going to, uh, uh, if we're not careful, selfishness will show itself in our life. First one being our finances. Look at verse number 11. The Bible said the rich man's wealth is his strong city and has a high wall is his own conceit. He, he said it right there. The rich man's wealth, it's his strong city. In essence, that is where he finds his stability. That is where he finds his worth. That is where he finds his defense. It is in his wealth. The rich trust in his wealth. It's his strong city. But what if I told you tonight that all that money you have isn't yours? Oh, no, preacher. I worked hard for it, and you probably did. I earned it. You, might, you probably did. It is my money, preacher. Well, don't go read Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, where the Bible says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. It's all his. It's all his tonight. Oh, preacher, that just applies to you. You're in the ministry. 
That applies to every Christian tonight. It's the Lord's money. It's all his tonight. Well, no, preacher, it's mine. I, I, I've got plans for it, and I've got goals for it, and very well you may to be, have those things tonight, but don't ever let that overrule the fact that you are called to be a steward of what God has blessed you with and what God has given to you. It is not yours. It is the Lord's. Many people put their trust in a piece of paper instead of the God whose name is printed on the paper. As long as I got my money, I got my nest egg, I got this, I, everything's going to be okay. Now tonight, I'm not telling you to go out there and, and be unwise with your money. Be, be smart with it. Be sensible with it. Be a good steward of it because in essence, not just because somebody asks you for it doesn't mean you're required to give it to them. But the reality is we ought not to be so... <laughs> tight wallet, whatever it's called, tight-fisted in that sense, that we don't allow ourselves to give to the people that God has desired for us to give to and wants us to give to. And the reality is, not, look at your money this way. Either you will be a steward of it or you'll be a slave to it. Either you'll be a steward of it or a slave to it. Anytime you view your money as yours, you will be selfish with it. This is my money. We all have that temptation we have to fight in our finances, but also in our ability. The Bible says in verse number 11, at the, at the latter half of it, it says, a high wall is his own conceit. His own conceit, and that word conceit is imagination, but it's more than that. It gives the understanding of a carved figure, an idol. In essence, tonight, I can do this by myself. I'm a self-made person. It is through my ability, it is through my knowledge and my education that I've got to where I am. Matter of fact, the Bible says put no confidence, put, put no confidence in any man or put confidence in no man. And that's how the Bible says it, and that includes yourself. Can I say sometimes that is difficult to do? That is difficult to do. And here's the thing, you remove God's power and grace out of your life, you move that, remove that, you're nothing. That's why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that's as Paul looked back and said, it was not my upbringing, though I had a great pedigree. It was not my position, though I had a wonderful one. It was not my education, though I had a good one. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. The reality is tonight, we should never lose that. We should never step back and say, all right, Lord, thanks for grace. I can handle it from here. Watch what I can do, Lord. He's going to say, I don't want to. Because <laughs> I, I know what you can't accomplish. He said, so we, we tend to be selfish in our finances, in our ability. Then verse number 17, sometimes we're selfish in our cause. Look at verse 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searches him. And one of those, bless God, I don't need anybody else. Except that you actually do. Right? We, we actually need each other. Now, we don't need each other more than we need Christ. But in Christ, we need each other. Right, God has put us in the church. He's put us in a local body of believers. We go read Corinthians where it talks about how you know some are the comely parts, some are the uncomely parts, but we all have a purpose and a way that we function together. In essence, we, we are locked in together. Well, you say, well, preacher, I'm just the big toe. Well, bless God, be the big toe for the glory of God. <laughs> you say, preacher, it's not that big a deal. If I cut yours off tonight, you'll notice. <laughs> You'll notice tonight, but sometimes we get selfish in our cause. If nobody else, I will do it by myself then. Right, we become selfish in our cause. Just because you think you're right doesn't always mean you are right. 
<laughs> we were playing a game the other night at the house, and uh, you had five seconds to name off three things. And it gave you, a, it gave you a subject, and you had five seconds to name it off. And, and, and <laughs> my kids have learned, and they got to check behind Daddy, because I say things with confidence, like I'm right. And I can't remember what it was last night, and they all were like, I don't think that's right, Dad. Oh, it is. Trust me, I'm a dad. I know things. Right, but just because you, you think you're right doesn't always mean you are. And we see right here in verse number 17, that he that is first in the call seemeth just. In essence tonight, we can't always leave it up to our own, our own decision, our own uh, side, our own outlook, our own uh, peripheral in that sense. We have to let somebody come in and look at it. The Bible says right there in verse 7, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. And see, what, what, what does matter is not everybody who questions you or corrects you is against you. Right? Matter of fact, some of those people God has put in your life for that specific purpose. Right? There was times in our Bible, you go read Timothy and Titus, where Paul was, was explaining to them and correcting them and admonishing them and, and, and not just questioning them per se, but trying to get them to go down the right path. Paul didn't just leave them to himself. Paul came in under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and worked in their life. And the same thing is true. God will put people in your life who will question what you're doing because they're concerned about you, because they care about you, right? And it's not that they want to see you fail or they think what you're doing is wrong. They just want to make sure you sat down and thought about it. Have you sat down and thought to God about this or is it just a good idea? That, that no doubt it's not wrong, but it is, is it right for you to do? Everybody wants, everybody questions you is, uh, or corrects you is not against you. I wrote this down. Everybody wants a cheerleader, but not a lot of people want a coach. Everybody wants a cheerleader, but not a whole lot of people want a coach. So, well, preacher, what's the difference there? What's the difference there? Well, let me explain it, try to give you a, uh, an, a, a, an illustration, an example of it. You're the quarterback of the team. And the defense is set in front of you, and you're trying to figure out if they're in the dime package or the nickel package. And you're trying to figure out who's blitzing and who's dropping back in coverage. You going to turn to the cheerleaders? <laughs> hey, what, what defensive scheme is that? Yay, team! <laughs> Take them back. Take them back. Way back. You think I'm on offense? <laughs> right? And no doubt cheerleaders have their place. Right, and no doubt cheerleaders, when they are cheering you on and they're, they're behind you saying, you got this, that's wonderful. But when it comes to those questions, when you're not sure what to do, you need a coach. Coach, what, what's the defensive scheme here? How, what play should we run? And those answers come from a coach. And sometimes God will put a coach in your life per se who's going to say, hey, have you thought about this? What do you think about this? What about doing it this way? And you can easily step back and say, uh-uh, my way's right. And it very well may be, but take that into consideration. Listen to it, right? Don't be selfish in your cause. Just because you think you're right, allow your neighbor to come in, per se, to search and see. So we see tonight, we all have the temptation to be selfish in our cause, in our finances, in our ability. Let me ask you, are you gonna let the Lord search your motives to see if they're selfish? Or not. So we see the desire, the separation of wisdom. We see the temptation of selfishness. Notice number three tonight. We see the sustainment of our desire. The sustainment of our desire. Verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, The spirit of a man who can, will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh 
knowledge. In 1953, a man by the name of Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, I would not suggest you go and read it, uh, but in it he says, when you expect the best, you release a magnetic force in your mind, which by law of attraction tends to bring the best to you. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? Just think it, and it'll happen. All you got to do is think real hard and real positive, and, and it's going to work. Matter of fact, I, I encourage you to go home this month and just think positive about your power bill. I'm positive it's going to get paid. I'm positive somebody else besides me is going to pay it. I'm positive it's going to happen. I've released that magnetic force, and now by the laws of tra- it's going to happen. 30 days from now, you're going to say, Preacher, ain't no way to pay my power bill. I was thinking about it. Now tonight, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, but when our desire is towards wisdom, there is a blessing that comes from that. When that is what we're pursuing and go after, right? You just got to be positive about it. You just, you got you to think good about it. Well, somebody should have told that to Brother Job. You know why he went through it? He just wasn't positively thinking. How, Joseph should have been positive when he got sold into slavery. It wasn't until the latter end of Joseph's life that he realized why God had allowed him to go through those things. You thought of it evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph didn't say that before prison and before Egypt and before the pit. He said it afterwards. When, why? I think he was pursuing wisdom. I think as he was in there, there was probably those times that that question crossed him. I thought God had given me some dreams. I thought God had allowed me to cease. I thought God was going to use me in a mighty way. I don't know how this is going to happen, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. See, had Joseph's spirit broken? Had, he, had his spirit given up? I think his story would have been a whole lot different. The same thing is true in our Christian life. A broken spirit is unbearable. Look at verse number 14. But a wounded spirit, who can bear it? It cannot be maintained long term. When your spirit is broken, when you've given up in that sense, when you have you've said, you know what, I'm done with it. Listen, we all have the thoughts. We all have the, 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 the bad days, the low moments. But when we allow our spirit to be broken and not allowing God to mend it or to restore it and to revive it, mark it down, it does not last long. Right, we see that tonight, a weak flesh, which your flesh is always weak. What did Paul say? He said, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Our flesh is always weak. But when you take a weak flesh and match it up with a broken spirit, you're headed towards destruction. You're you're headed to a dangerous combination. If your spirit is broken, you must go to God and say, Lord, I I need restoration. Lord, I need to restore the joy of my, Lord, I need my spirit revived. And, and, and alive again in that sense because you will not be able to bear it when your spirit is broken. But notice this, a broken spirit is unbearable. Verse, right in the first part of verse 14, a wise spirit can bear the issues of life. Look at verse number 14. The spirit of a man will sustain. His, it will not solve it. It will not fix it, but it will sustain you. It'll help you to get through the difficult times. It'll help you. So, preacher, what do you mean by, by, by my spirit sustaining me? Well, notice what it says right there. It goes through the, it says right there in verse number 14, his infirmity. 
That word means disease, a sickness. Well, how in the world does my spirit help me through? <laughs> what a wonderful example tonight. We got a lot of people out sick tonight. Preacher, how are they going to make it through? Well, maybe medicine. Maybe rest, relaxation. But he's talking more than just a cold. This is that along the lines of Paul and the thorn in the flesh that he prayed thrice that God would take it from him. Let me ask you, did Paul quit because of the thorn? No. How did he keep going? Wisdom. What was the wisdom, preacher? My grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul learned his grace, and that sustained him the rest of his life. How do you know, preacher? I don't find anywhere else in the word of God where Paul said, Lord, I know I prayed three times. I know you gave me an answer, but take this thorn away from me. Now, I think every time those thoughts came up, that thorn in his flesh reared its ugly head. He stepped back and said, God's grace is sufficient for me. And that wisdom tied to, into his spirit tonight allowed him to sustain his infirmity, allowed him to go through. So preacher, how, so look at well, verse 15. How do I sustain my spirit? The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge. Go get you some knowledge. You want me to go to the library and read some books, preacher? You want me to learn how to do things? <laughs> Algebra? <laughs> Is that going to help me, preacher? No, I'm talking about biblical knowledge and not just information, but godly Wisdom, right? Pursues and seeks not. Because when you learn the truth about whatever that infirmity is, whatever that issue is, and whatever that problem is that you're going through, when you learn the truth of it and you realize that nothing God does in your life is without purpose or without reason, that this issue is not a punishment or a, a, a payment of any kind, and you find out his grace is sufficient for whatever it is, your spirit will be able to bear the infirmity. You'll be able to say, you know what? I, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is strong. God has given me some truth. God has given me some wisdom. God's wisdom will sustain you through your infirmities. It's, you've probably heard it before. You've probably seen it before. Where somebody gets bad news and they're not just saying it because they, want, they think that's what the preacher's supposed to hear or that's what other Christians are supposed to hear. But deep down in their heart, they understand this may not have been how I drew it up. But if God has desired for me to go through here, there is a purpose and a reason for it. If God has the valley out in front of me, he's got a reason for it. If God has a storm out in front of me, he has a reason for it. If God's got a problem out in front of me, he has a reason for it. And when I seek the knowledge of that reason, the truth that is behind it, it'll sustain me through those things. It'll help you through those things. So we see the sustainment of your desire. It's more than just hoping so and thinking so. It's knowing so. That God's word is true. He, 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 he has never lied. He's not going to start with you. Let me ask you now, is your spirit broken or is your spirit strengthened and settled by the word of God? Preacher, there are some crazy things going around in my life and around those of the lives of the people that I love. Preacher, what do I need to do? Go get you some knowledge. Seek the Lord about the truth of it and find out his grace is sufficient for thee. And find out what truth he has for that problem in your life. It may not take the problem away. It may not solve the problem, but it will sustain you through the problem. It will sustain you through your infirmities tonight. We see the sustainment of our desire. We see the temptation of our selfishness. And we also see the separation of wisdom tonight. And it starts with desire. Let me ask you tonight, where is your desire? When it comes to wisdom, where is your desire tonight? No, preacher, I, I want to get to the end of this thing. I, I want to get the wise action, wise word. Well, you got to start with desire tonight. Where is your desire? Let's pray to heaven.